Okay, good afternoon. We're back to the Sefer Das Aspiro. Sorry we had a miss yesterday. We have now finished the discussion of the 10 Spheros. And now in essay number 19, uh, until the end of the book, the author will pick different important topics. And this next topic is called the Inyan Shviros Ha'olamas Vetikuna, the concept of the destruction of the worlds and their repair. And that begins on page Reish Samach Beis. And the author, uh, what do you call it? introduces this subject by saying we're now going to engage in one of the foundations and the roots of the creation, the founda- primary foundations of the inner Torah, and to explain some fundamental principles briefly without the proper depth that it requires, but just enough for what will be relevant to our Avodah Hashem. And in the beginning of the creation of the world, at the beginning of the creation, the uh, Medrash tells us, Rabbi Bo said, that God created many worlds and destroyed them until he created these worlds and was happy with them. And the others he was not happy with. So what does that Medrash mean? So the Arizal explains that the words of the rabbis are hinting to this fundamental concept in creation that's called shvira, breaking, vetikun, and repair, where there is a pathway in the creation of the world where there was a world that was called tohu, which doesn't translate well into English, nothingness. And in that world, there was a, a pathway of breakage because there was something lacking that could not enable for that existence to continue. And after that breakage happened, there were now worlds of the repair, which is our world. But yet they're not completely repaired and are always in a stages, in a pathway of repair, which we'll have to explain in more detail. This idea is hinted to, you know, sometimes you get to certain parts of the Torah that really you don't know what in the world they're talking about and you just run over them and you skip them through. And you should know those are usually the deepest parts of the Torah. For example, we dealt with uh, Yaakov and the speckled and the spotted sheep, which is such a confusing issue. Some of all kinds of Gilgulim and things that are way beyond what we can understand. Similar at the end of Parsons by Yishla, when we're going through the lineage of Esau, and it talks about all the chiefs of Esau, and then it talks about the kings who ruled in Edom before the Jews ruled. So you think it's just a historical event. It says, and they're ruled in Edom, kill number one, Bela ben Baor. He was the king, and then Vayomas Bela, then he died, and another king replaced him, Vayomas, and he died. Goes through eight kings. And each king, it says, and he died. Okay. But then the last one, when the seventh one dies, it says in his place reigned Hadar, and and, and where he ruled, but doesn't say anything else. So this is something we usually just read very quickly and just move on of no interest.
However, the uh, the Kabbalists tell us that this is this whole idea of the breaking of the worlds and the repairing of the worlds is hinted to with this, because seven of the kings says and they died, but by the eighth one it does not talk about death, and the seven kings are hinting to the seven lower spheros of Chesed through Malchus that they have a tendency to break. Because since they're in this world, the Yetzirah has some handle on them. So therefore it says a concept of Misa, death, as if they were broken. As the Vilna Gon explains, that whenever somebody falls from a level, it's expressed in the idea of death. And therefore these worlds, so to speak, these realms of existence um, that, so to speak, broke down. So it's symbolic of that. So it's like there's a, a death so to speak, happens until it comes to a certain repair. While the eighth king, the king Hadar, is expressing the world of Tikkun that happens after the breaking. Okay, and it gets into all discussions about that. Uh, so anyway, we're not going to go into that specifically, but just to know that it's hinted to Mamash in the Torah, this idea. So what is this fundamental principle? Notice this is, this is an idea of how the world works. And this is uh, engraved into the uh, essence of what life is about in, all, in this planet Earth existence. And this uh, foundation of breakage and repair is that Hashem places something in a position where it can break, a.k.a. sin, and then there's a position of repair, a.k.a. teshuvah. And really, if you look at the entire conduct of creation in general and specifically, it always is in a cycle of sin, which is a breakage, and then a tikkun that comes to teshuvah. For example, as the world in a more broad sense evolved, we have the sin of Adam Then we have the sins of the generation of the flood. And we could add even more the Tower of Babel, the generation of Enosh. Those are all breakages, all types of sin. But afterwards comes Avon Avinu, and that becomes the Tikkun, that becomes the repair. Or the Jewish people were in Egypt, that was a breakage to our people. But then we got out and received the Torah, that was the Tikkun, that was the repair. Then it's the sin of the golden calf, is the breakage. And the second tablets is the repair. And as we go further on through the generations of the Jewish people, there's always this pathway that repeats itself over and over, especially in Sefer Shoftim, goes over and over, the Jews uh, sin, and then an enemy comes and oppresses them, then comes a Shofet, he helps us out, back and forth. Again, this is the whole idea that the Jewish people are compared to the moon, because the moon gets full, and then it goes down, and there's nothing, so there's always this idea of breakage and repair. Breakage and repair. And so too with the individual person. Each and every one of us is in a pathway of sin. As Sol King Solomon said, there isn't a righteous person in the world who does good and does not sin. And then there's the, pro the, the process of tshuva, where there's repair. And then we move on. As it says in Mishlei, Sheva Yipol Tzadik become The Tzadik falls seven times and then gets up. And that is how a Tzadik develops himself. 
by falling, by breaking, by getting up and repairing. And that's why it's Sheva, seven, because there's seven names of the Yetzirah. There's seven ways that the Yetzirah uh, can trick us, and each time we have to learn uh, how to deal with that. And why is this uh, such a conduct? Because we're in a world of free will choice, where you have this choice between sin and repair. Sometimes we're going to pick evil and fall, and then we are provided with a pathway of repair through tshuva. And therefore, the root of the concept is that this is really what creation is all about. There is this process. When God created the worlds, for whatever reason, he created worlds he wasn't happy with, and they were broken, as it were. Of course, God doesn't make any mistakes. Basically, just like God, so to speak, makes mistakes, quote-unquote, and he can repair it, same thing for us. That's why Gomorrah says that Shuva preceded the creation of the world. Because before God creates a world, there has to be a concept of repairing the damage that's there. Okay, so now we have to get in what is the nature of this breakage. But I think it's it's pretty clear to understand the, the main point that we have to realize is that we all go through ups and downs in our lives. Now, it's obviously better to try to avoid the downs. It's obviously better to avoid sins and do what you can to avoid it. But on a certain sense, on a certain level, they're unavoidable. Uh, because part of that is... As you'll see, when you're trying to grow, growing requires going beyond your comfort level. And as you go beyond your comfort level, you fall till you learn from the mistakes and you grow. No such thing, as far as I know, as a child who learned how to ride a bike that never fell. I know I fell. Okay? Or at least you're tottering and you, have, you can't keep riding. You have to support yourself with your feet. No one just got up and started riding. It just went like water without any effort, without any uh, training wheels or anything like that. It just, it just doesn't happen because you're going into a realm that you're not ready for. And that's okay because um, that's the only way you're going to grow is by going beyond your comfort zone. And when you're not comfortable, then you can make a lot of mistakes. So now in the next section, he gets into the reason for our falling. And as the Arizal says, the main reason why there is this falling, and the term he uses is because there's too much light from Hashem and not uh, uh, a correspondingly sufficient tool to receive the light. And therefore, this concept of where the tools get broken because they're not able to contain the great light that is flowing into them. So, and, and that's a big rule in everything in life, in life, that we have to balance the flow to the recipients of the flow. If there's too much flow, that will cause a breakage and destruction. Okay? And a simple couple examples. One is rain. Now, if you recall, a couple years ago, we had this construction for years on Dufferin and Bathurst. And we were all kind of annoyed with it because generally anything that inconveniences us annoys us. And what annoyed us a lot 
with the fact that in the middle of these roads, they're putting all these potted plants and grasses. I say, what do we need this for? And uh, people are, uh, you know, it's going to save more taxpayers' dollars. I mean, it's nice, but and it took up so much space and really reduced the lane usage. Until today, whenever you want to go east on Center Street, there's cross bathers. You can't just go straight. You got to angle a little to the right and then a little to the left. Like, what Michigan is going on here? Well, I can't totally justify everything. But when I spoke to Aaron Kingsbury, who's involved in construction, he explained to me what the logic is. He said, if you notice, before all this construction, when there was a lot of rain, there are these big pools of water because the sewer systems are so old, they're not able to hold the water properly. The water, the light, is too big for the receptacle to hold it. And that's why, if you notice, we always had major floods right at the Zara and Bathurst and other places in this area where there was a lot of rain, terrible floods. So what they did is these middle um, things that have the grass and the flowers, these are things that go deep, deep down, way down. And they're meant that the rain that overflows goes down those drains. So they were beautiful looking drains and you haven't really seen any floods since they put them up. So that's the idea. Rain is great. It's great to have rain. Too much rain is no good. Why the earth can't take all the rain. And not only do you not get the benefits of the rain, the rain destroys. That's the idea if there's too much light for the receptacle. On a human form, we can understand this as well. Let's say you have uh, a Talmud Chacham wants to give a shear, wants to give a class to people. Sometimes you have people that are so smart, like real geniuses, because they're so smart, they can't have any students. Because they don't know how to hold back their brilliance. So their brilliance just comes out in the, in the greatest way, but it's way over their heads. The students are not as brilliant as the teacher. So what happens is, you know, he gives a few classes and the boys just, they can't follow. They can't follow. He can't, he's so brilliant, he can't even write it down in a way that's simplified. And therefore, he doesn't have any swarm to his name. He doesn't have any students to his name. Is it because he's not smart? He's a genius. But the light is too much light. So now, what that says, you have to adjust the light. That's when you have problems. Now, we'll get into more practical very shortly. But this is where the breakage happens and where a person can feel broken. There's always got to be this balance between the light that you're trying to take in and your ability to take it in. And that's the source of every sin or downfall. Or let's say, you know, you're feeling just not in the mood. You're all, in the yeshivish world, they use an expression, fazetzt, which is hard to translate into English. But we'll say, like, in a funk. It's just, it's just not a lousy one. Why? Well, obviously, you're not feeling success in your spiritual development. So that mainly happens because we're lacking that balance between the light 
and the receptacle. And there what happens is the person pushes the light away and therefore, then you reach sin. If you're, if you're dovlik to Hashem, you're not going to sin. But if you're not dovlik, so what's the thing? That's the light. Now the question is, how much light do you need? Well, too much is not good. So how does this happen? What's the mechanics of this failure? Well, the human being is a combination of light, that's the neshama, and the kli, the receptacle for the light, that's the body. Okay, the soul is pulling the person to the will of Hashem. The body is pulling the person to follow its typhus and animalistic drives. Okay, so what is the, the light is coming from the neshama, from Hashem. It's how you penetrate into the kli, that's the body, that's human being. So even in the beginning, we've got tension with that. So every time a person sins, that comes from the fact that he's pushing away the light from the neshama, and he doesn't want it to rest inside his body, so to speak, and therefore, he uh, there, there's there's much more uh, there's much more light than what the body is able to handle. Okay, and that is certainly with every sin that's intentional. Let's say like this, a guy's learning and he decides to stop learning and to waste time and to schmooze. So sit, you're learning Torah with a chavus and now you're having a bull session, as they say. Why? Because he says, I don't have strength to learn anymore. I don't have, I can't, I can't learn anymore. After a half an hour, it's finished. So why is that? Because the person is pushing away the light from the show. He doesn't want it anymore. And therefore the body desires take over. That's an intentional, but even unintentional. Let's say a shogun. Now, why would a guy transgress the law in Shabbos? For one of two reasons. Either one, he didn't learn the law. Well, why didn't you learn the law? Well, I didn't want to spend so much time learning. I want to schmooze a little more. So I, it was just too hard to learn. Again, you didn't want the light that's coming in. Or let's say the guy learned that he knows the law, but he stumbles. Now, really great people usually don't, you know, oh, it was Gitzvah in the middle of the night, he didn't read Shabbos, he flicks the light up. A true tzaddik will never forget his Shabbos, even in the middle of the night. But someone on a lower level could make this mistake. Why? Because a great tzaddik, the light in the Shabbos is shining on Shabbos and he feels it. And his kli knows it's Shabbos. He's not going to do it. The person on a lower level, the kli, the utensil, can overcome the light and push away the light. Very simple. It's Shabbos. So now that's the light. So we should be in an optimal position is your body says, let me take it all. It's all, I feel everything is Shabbos. I'm feeling Olam Haba. And therefore my body is carried away into Olam Haba. How could I even forget about Shabbos? And the other person said, listen, this light's coming, but you know what? I like my geschmack with my body. The part of Shabbos that like is eating a lot of food, sleeping a lot, the davening, the learning, the close Hashem, that's the light I'm not interested in. So the light is not attuned to the vessel. And therefore, the vessel is not being illuminated. And therefore, you can forget that it's Shabbos. And therefore, that, that, that's clear. So, that the, so the sins are coming because there's no, uh, what do you call it, 
connection, suitability for the body to receive from the soul. Um, interesting, another point that he says is regarding this suitability or correspondence between the light and the vessel is that sin will often happen because there is an imbalance. Uh, let's say the following. Let's say the person doesn't evaluate himself properly. Let's say like this. Let's say the person says, I think I can do X amount of spirituality, but it's way more than he's able to do. So he's expecting to take in a lot of light, thinking he is able to take a lot of light, but he can't. And he fails, and that depresses him, and then he sins. Because he wants to get more light than he thinks he's capable of having. There are those who say, I'm not interested in the light, and I'm not, I'm not that kind of guy. That's one hand. I'm not that kind of guy. It's way beyond me. I'm not interested. And you'll fall. Okay? Another guy, he says, I want lots of light. And I, I could I and I and I could and I could retain it. Guess what? You haven't evaluated yourself properly enough. What's the classic example? No. The flaming balchuva. The flaming balchuva, he says, ah, I'm gonna keep all the terminus. Starting today, the whole thing. Or let's say a 14-year-old who wants to study Torah day and night. Because I want to become the next great Godelador. And maybe for a day or two he can learn straight. But then what happens? He falls apart. And when he falls apart, he falls apart big time. It's not like, let's say he really could learn two hours a day. It would be perfect. He wants to learn 12 hours a day. After two days, I'm finished. I can't do it. If you would have stuck with two hours, you could handle two hours. Right? So that's all because he didn't, he overestimated that the utility of his clea, which wasn't proper. And therefore, that causes a fall. Expecting more. The Balchuva who's rushing, and it could go for a while. It could go for six months. So you always have to be careful, you know, when people all of a sudden want to start keeping everything, we, we get very nervous. Say, slow down, slow down, slow down, take it easy. Uh, especially when dealing with Shidduchim and someone just became from, you don't want to make Shidduchim for somebody till you know for sure it's going to stick because it could be way beyond what he's able to handle. And therefore, uh, when he speaks about this idea that the Vilna Gon speaks about the idea that before um, the world was created, there was not this balance in the various spiritual realms that existed. Hashem's light was coming into a world the way Hashem, so to speak, trial and error. The world didn't have the right clea for this. Okay, until we came to this world, the way Hashem created this world, body, soul, just enough to deal with the challenge that exists. So now we could go through a little bit of the concept of the breakage and repairs. Now this also bespeaks one of the great words of Rabbi Nachman. Rabbi has many classic aphorisms. And one of them is, I have to remember exactly where it goes, you have to believe that just like you have the power to break things, you have the power to fix things. Very important you so. Because it's part of the process. 
It's easy to break things, but it's not impossible to fix things. And you do certain affairs, just like you can believe you can sin. You have to believe you can do tshuva. You believe you can fix things. So let's talk about a little bit, and this will explain a little bit of these anomalies about going through the history of Jewish people, especially in these parshas that we're dealing with. Okay, so we have to understand the background for all of this uh, deficiency. So let's start a look at the first one. The Cheta Ego. Sin the golden calf. Of course, that's one of the sins. Was, how can this be? They just got the Torah 40 days before. God spoke to them face to face. Their lives expired twice and God revived them. They saw all these miracles in this right. This was amazing. And what did they want to do? They wanted to create other forms of conduits to God. So what was the problem? The problem is God shed a lot of light upon them. But it was way more than they could handle. And since they couldn't handle it, therefore, they had to find other expressions of divinity through the calf. In other words, really what was required? Incredible emunah, bitachon. Now, as much as they achieved intellectual betochen, when they said Nasa and Ishma, they did receive, into, they had intellectually, they said, doesn't matter what you say, we're going to do it. it there's a big, there's an intellectual betochen and emotional betochen. Intellectual betochen is in theory. Emotional betochen is in practice. One is theoretical, one is concrete. So yeah, in theory, yeah, whatever you say, it makes sense because you know everything. Then God puts you in a terrible situation. Your emotions are going crazy. Do you listen to what your mind says or does your emotions take control? So what's going on over here? Well, what Hashem is doing, and really you have to admit, he set us up for this. He set us up for this. He set us up knowing that we're going to fall because this was challenging us to something that was next level beyond what we can do. And that's important to realize that there's almost no way the Jews could not have sinned. They would have had to, like, you know, when you do anything for the first time, usually you're not so good at it. So when Hashem wants to move us along, He says, okay, you really you really believe in me? You want these luchos? These luchos, you have to really believe, not just intellectually, but emotionally. I'm gonna set you up for such a fall. And sure enough, they fell because after all, the Yetzirah was privileged to show that Moshe died. If Moshe died, it was fake news. But you know, if you have rape in Moshe, you don't listen to fake news, even though it seems real. So they fell. Why? Because the light that was in was so overwhelming and it would require a cleave that could take all that light that light is trying to show you that even Moshe not coming back is amazing. And they, they could not take that idea. They were given a load that was too heavy to carry. Fine. So therefore, based on where they were at, it wasn't that they disregarded Hashem. It's not just that Hashem doesn't exist. It's Hashem exists. We believe in Hashem. But this idea of Moshe or baby is not around anymore, so we got to do something. But Hashem said, you can't have any idols and this and that. So, okay, it was desperation, but it came from a good place. But the mistake was still a mistake. But then what happens? Then we chew, and then Hashem brings us back to Luchos. And now we see there's a concept of forgiveness 
where we are able to strengthen ourselves. Again, to oversimplify the muscle when you're working out in the gym and you're doing um, bench press. You can bench press 100 pounds easily. I mean, not easily, but you can do 100, you can do 10, 10 reps. Then what happens, the, the, the coach puts on 105. All of a sudden, you can only do six. And then what happens, he has to help you the last couple, and then you fail. Oh, so is that a failure? No, it's a failure at 105. But guess what? If you fail at 105, you'll be able to succeed at 105. And that's what Hashem was doing over there. Same thing in the Beis Amikdash, where Jews reached tremendously high levels. They saw miracles, but they couldn't contain all the light. Because after all, there were all these sins they were doing, and then they could bring korbanos, and then they started pushing away the light, and then comes the three terrible sins. And that becomes the breakage and the destruction. There's just too much Hashem for them to be able to handle what it means to live on that level. Every time I sin, I have to bring a korban. Whoa. It means there's great expectations of this. And they just weren't able to handle. Now, does it mean to say they were destined for that? No, there were certain programs of uh, they should have been engaged in and they weren't, and therefore they fell. And so it was with the sin of first man that he ate from the forbidden fruit, and now he brought a, a very nasty connection of the physical desires in this world get mixed up with the spiritual ones. And therefore the light of the neshama after Adam's first sin was not able to clearly be received by the body anymore because of the sin of the body. And that's what the Vilna Gon says, that the souls of the Erev Rav, the mixed multitude, are all incorporated in first man, and that was the cause of that first sin. And here's the point that the Bali Musar draw as a conclusion of this whole idea, and we'll end with this idea. It's forbidden for a person to serve Hashem beyond his capabilities. And if you serve Hashem beyond your capabilities, it's going to come up where the body will reject the light and therefore the person will be broken and he will sin. And this is the idea that you never ask Hashem for tests. David HaMelech asks Hashem to test him. And Hashem says, not a good idea. He says, no, I want you to test me. So he tested him and David failed. Why? The answer is Hashem will only test you based on what he knows you're capable of testing. If you're going to ask for something he hasn't decided to test you with, then you don't have the capability. God will only test you with what he thinks you need to get tested with. If you're pushing the envelope, it's not going to work. And, and with first man, it's, it's really clear. First man, Hashem said like this. Hashem like this. Don't eat from the forbidden fruit. He says, why not? Well, if you eat from the forbidden fruit, it's going to make it much harder for you to overcome the Yetzor. If you Right now, your Yetzor is external to you. It's not internal to you. Deal with that. Adam says, that's so easy. That's not so hard. How much, how much reward can I get for dealing with an external Yetzor? Hashem says, that's what I want. He says, yeah, but wouldn't it be better if I ate and I had an internal nature and I could overcome that too? That would me, give me much more reward and much more pleasure to you. Sometimes I'm not asking you for that. 
He says, no, but I, I think it would be a great idea. What happens as soon as he eats, he realizes, uh-oh, finished. So what he, he wanted to be on a level higher than what he was. And Hashem said, you don't have the tools for this. You got to wait. And often in life, people want to engage in certain behaviors. They don't have the tools for it. They engage and they fail, and then they think they're a total failure. They're not a total failure. What is it? They took on something more than they could handle to begin with. And it's so important that a person has to be honest with his own levels. And therefore, that's why you're supposed to have a friend. You're supposed to have a mentor to, to bounce things off and say, do you think this is a project I should be involved in or not? And a good friend will say, it's a great project, but you're not suited for it. Oh, I'm not good? Let's say you're not good. It's just not your suitability for that. And that's where all sin comes from. If we would just say, this is what I'm really suited for, you can't undersell yourself either. If you're suited for X amount of effort and you're applying less, then you got extra time on your hands that you're going to do evil things too. So you got to really have a good balance between what the light is that I want to bring in and what my cleat is to take the light. And then you have that balance, even though you're not an all-star, so to speak, but you're not obliged to be. And th but this is the way the world runs, that everyone is going to sin. Everyone's going to come to situations where they make this mistake, and then you rebuild yourself from that, and things get stronger from that. Okay, we'll have to stop it over here. And we'll continue tomorrow. We'll get specifically in the sins of the generation of the desert, which is the topic we're dealing with now.